0: We learn that we're challenged by. Father, I pray that you would stir in our hearts just a longing to know you more. In Jesus' name, amen. I'm going to grab a uh, pew Bible here just so I can give you all the page number. We're going to be in, in Philippians. So if you have a, a Bible in your pew, there's a hymn book and a Bible there. And Philippians is page... Look at there. Philippians, it's going to be on page 1,827, 1827 in the Pew Bible, and we're going to be in Philippians chapter 2. Now we're specifically going to be looking at the the verses 19 to 30, verses 19 to 30, but I'm going to hit those verses with a running start where we've already been, all through chapter 2. So I'm going to read for us. Philippians 2, starting at verse 1. Paul writes this. So if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or vain conceit but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who because he was in the form of God, or some translations say, though he was in the form of God, he did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, Being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee shall bow and tongue confess in heaven and on earth and under the earth that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Therefore, my beloved, because all that's true about Jesus, verse 12, he says, As you have all always obeyed, so now, not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Do all things without grumbling or disputing, that you may be blameless and innocent, "'Children of God without blemish "'in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation, "'among whom you shine like stars in the world, "'holding fast to the word of life, "'so that in the day of Christ "'I may be proud that I did not run in vain "'or labor in vain. "'Even if I am to be poured out as a drink offering "'upon the sacrificial offering of your faith, "'I am glad and rejoice with you all. "'Likewise, you also should be glad.' and rejoice with me. So those are the verses right before the ones we're going to be looking at today. And I'm just going to summarize what those verses were about. Paul is calling the Philippian church. He's writing from a jail in Rome, ancient Rome. If you're looking at a map, there's like this boot called Italy in the Middle East area, you know, Europe area. And Paul's writing from a jail in Rome to the town of Philippi, many, many miles away, long journey, and he is writing to Christians there this letter to encourage them in the faith. And he is calling them to have a certain type of mind, mindset, way of looking at the world, a mind that was in Christ Jesus. And this mindset is a mind of a servant, servant servant-like thinking. It's a mind that puts the interests and needs of others above our own interests and needs. It's natural to look out for number one. It's supernatural to look out for others first. And Jesus led the way. Though he was the highest, the greatest, he was God's son, living in heaven, reigning in heaven, he left heaven and became a little baby born in a cattle trough to parents that were very poor in a town that was a small little town in Bethlehem. The highest, the greatest became the lowest. And then, if that wasn't enough, he humbled himself even further and died on a cross 33 years later. Crucifixion. The most embarrassing shameful way to die ever and jesus hung there for us and paul says then he was exalted god raised him from the dead three days later and gave him the name that is above every name the name of lord (laughs) that jesus at the name of jesus every knee shall bow and tongue confess in heaven and on earth that jesus christ is lord to the glory of God the Father. And now, Paul tells us in the verses that follow, verses 2 to 9, he says, you're supposed to live as his servants, faithful, obey him. If Jesus is the king, then we, if you love me, Jesus says, you'll keep my commandments. You'll live for me. You'll obey his rule and reign. You'll serve him with fear and trembling, not like a, a, a terrified fear. We talked about this later, the the, the fear and the trembling is like a, a quivering of delight, a fearful reverence and awe at who he is. He, he really is the mighty king of the universe. Then, man, we want to serve him. And we're, flee, we're to flee grumbling and complaining, he says. I think it's verse 14 back up there. Which is basically when we grumble and we, when we complain, if God's really in charge and we grumble and we complain, it's like saying, you're not a good king. Like when our kids grumble about the food that's on the table, they're saying, you're not a good mom. If you were a good mom, if you were a good dad, you'd have given me ice cream or whatever, you know? And, and that's what grumbling is. It's unbelief in our Lord put to music, you know? And, and we all do it. It's a battle. Every day we grumble. Start to think about it. Right? When, when do I grumble? But if you don't grumble, if you don't complain, you're like a star shining because it, it shows off Your trust in the goodness of God, that no matter what, He is good. So, Paul is going, saying all this way to live. If Jesus is really the King, this is how you live. And then we get to our verses, 19 to 30, that we're going to look at this week. And I'll just pause for a second and say next week, we're starting, we're taking a break from Philippians. We're not going to be in chapter 3. Next week, we're going to start a five part series on what it means that God became a man, that Jesus came to save us. So it's going to be a topical series. We're not going to work through a passage of the Bible through verses, although we will be quoting the Bible lots. And so that that begins next week, but we're going to take a break from Philippians. So these verses are our focus this morning. And Paul's going to say three basic things in verses 19 to 30. First, he says he hopes in the Lord to send Timothy to the Philippians. I hope to send this guy named Timothy to you. Second, he says, I hope to come visit you myself. Remember, he's in jail far away, but he used to be with them and he planted this church there and he loves them and they care for him. And then third, he says that he plans to send this guy called Epaphroditus. Aphroditus, Aphrodite, you ever heard that name? This guy was not born to Christian parents. He was a convert later. Aphrodite was a a goddess in the the Roman pantheon, in the Greek pantheon, and he was named after after her. And now he's a Christian. They didn't give him a new name, but his name is Epaphroditus. And he's going to send this guy to Timothy and 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 Timothy with them, and and maybe even visit them himself. So those three things are what these verses are mainly about. I'm going to send Timothy... I'm going to come myself, and I'm going to send Epaphroditus. Now, what does that have to do with Jesus being the king and living for Jesus in the beginning part? I mean, it kind of seems disconnected. All of a sudden, Paul's going to talk from talking about Jesus being the king, and then he's like, yeah, and I want to visit you, and Timothy's going to visit you, and, and Epaphroditus. i like, you're sharing your travel plans. What does that have to do Well, do with what he's already said. It has a lot to do with what he's already said, actually. He's going to send these men, Timothy and Epaphroditus, to the Philippians to be living, breathing examples, pictures to them of what living for Jesus looks like. These guys, Paul wants the Philippians, this church in Philippi, to watch these men, to keep their eyes on these men, And to learn from them the way of Jesus. Not just from what they say, but from how they live. That's why he wants to send them to visit the church. And so we're going to see that in these verses. Philippians 2, verses 19 to 23. That's what we're going to read next. Paul says, I hope in the Lord to send Timothy to you soon, so that I too may be cheered by news of you. For I have no one like him who will be genuinely concerned for your welfare. For they all seek their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. But you know Timothy's proven worth, how as a son with a father he has served with me in the gospel. So let's look at the first point today. Remember the first point is Paul hopes in the Lord to send Timothy soon. That's the first thing we'll see in these verses. I hope to send this guy named Timothy. Now, as Paul is explaining his plans to send this guy named Timothy to them, we're going to see three things. We'll see who Timothy is. We'll see why does Paul want to send Timothy. And we'll see Paul's reasons for sending Timothy in particular. So, who, who is Timothy? Look at verse 22 if you've got your Bible open. Under chapter 2. Down at verse 22, Paul writes, As a son with a father, he has served with me in the gospel. So Timothy was a young man from the town of Lystra. We don't find that out here. We find that out in the book of Acts, or Lystra, in in Asia Minor. He was a young man who Paul had kind of taken under his wing and discipled, which means trained or taught him the way of Jesus. And Paul didn't have any biological children. He was not married, as far as we know. And and yet that didn't stop Paul from being a father. A father. Timothy is his child in the faith. It's a a spiritual father. And sometimes if you really um, respect somebody and have learned tons from them, you might call them dad. You know, we love Uncle Mal and Uncle Jim, so we call them uncle, right? It's it's that idea of respect, of love, and and. Paul calls Timothy his beloved child in the faith. He's a young man serving King Jesus with Paul. So now we'll look at the second thing to see about Paul's plans to send Timothy. He states his goal or his purpose. He says, I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon so that I may be cheered when I receive news about you. So Paul's ultimate goal in sending Timothy is that he wants to hear good news from Timothy about how the Philippians are doing in their walk with the Lord. So it seems Paul wanted to send Timothy back to Rome to find out about the state of things there in Philippi, okay? And and so based on all that Paul knows about the Philippian church, Paul, Paul is assuming, when I hear how things are going with you guys, I'm going to be happy. He's far, far away. He hasn't heard from him in a long time. So he's going to send Timothy and Timothy's going to get the scope on things. It's like, imagine a father who's fighting in a war. Okay. He's stationed far overseas and one of his buddies is going to go back to the States. Maybe he's on leave or something. And he tells him, can you please stop by my family and see how my family's doing? I want to hear how they're doing. And that buddy goes and he stops by the family and then he sends word back. They're doing well. Your son's walking. Your daughter learned to ride a bike, you know, and and it brings joy to the father. He's like, let me be there through your eyes. That's what Paul's saying to the Philippians. I'm going to send Timothy and he's he's going to figure out what's going on. and He's going to bring me joy by telling me how you're doing. And then we get to the reasons that why Timothy specifically, verses 20 to 22, Paul says, I have no one else like him who will show genuine concern for your welfare. For everyone looks out for their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. But you know that Timothy has proved himself because as a son with his father, he has served with me in the work of the gospel. So Paul wants to send Timothy. Why, why him in particular? Well, he knows Timothy is trustworthy. He's, he, why would that guy send, the, that soldier I was talking about in the illustration, send his buddy? Well, I'm assuming he would know that this buddy is trustworthy. This is a trustworthy buddy, buddy. He's going to give me a good report. He knows Timothy is trustworthy. He's going to give a good report, and he actually cares about them. Remember what Paul said back in Philippians 2, verses 3 to 4. He said to the Philippians, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but rather with humility of mind, consider others better than yourselves. Seek out their interests better than, more than your own. And so Paul says about Timothy, he's genuinely concerned for your interests. He has the mind of Christ. He really cares about you. And he embodies the servant-like life of Jesus in his own life. Later on in the letter, we're going to see a little bit more. Not, not, not just that Timothy is going to give Paul a good report, but we get the glimpse that this servant-like mindset is something that Timothy is going to model for the Philippians. Philippians 3 verse 17, Paul says, Join together in following my example, brothers, and just as you have us as a model, us, me and Timothy, Keep your eyes on those who live as we do. Keep your eyes on those who live like we do because we're trying to live like Jesus. So, if Timothy goes to visit them, as Paul hopes, then they're going to be able to watch him with their eyes. They're going to be able to learn the way of Christ by watching his example. Just like kids learn to watch, learn a lot by watching their parents. Okay? You know, you have a little kid who all of a sudden says a bad word. It's like, oh, where'd he learn that, right? Well, <laughs> monkey see, monkey do, right? with kids learn by watching their parents or their peers. We are imitators. And so Paul sends Timothy to them. Years later, Paul writes to Timothy a letter called... We call 1 Timothy. He actually writes him two letters, 1 Timothy and 2 Timothy, the great letters. And he tells him this in that first letter. He says, Timothy, don't let anyone look down on you because you are young. What, you think you're teaching me, you young whippersnapper? You know? Don't let anyone look down on you because you're young, he says, but set an example for the believers in faith, in conduct, in love, in purity. Set an example. Show them what love looks like. Show them what Jesus' love looks like in action. They don't know how to... They've never met Jesus. Has so any of you ever met Jesus face to face? I haven't. Someday I will. So, neither had the Philippians. Okay? But he sends them Timothy to be a model of how living for Jesus is supposed to look. That's the first thing. Second, big picture... Paul hopes to come himself. See that in verse 24? And I am confident in the Lord that I myself will come soon. He thinks he's going to get out of jail. Remember, he's in prison for preaching the gospel. Okay? He's locked up. He's waiting for trial. In verse 23, he says, I'll send Timothy as soon as I see how things go with me. Okay? So it's almost like maybe he's waiting to hear like when his trial date is, or he wants, he wants to send Timothy with news of how he's doing to the Philippians. That's what it seems like. I, as soon as I learn what's going to go with me, remember this, they don't have text. They don't have email. This is a a long journey. I forget how many months, but I mean, this is a long journey. So he's like, I'll just wait, but he's going to send this letter. We'll see in a minute with Epaphroditus. And he's going to send Epaphroditus right away. So He's saying, eventually I'll come. Why does he want to come? Well, Philippians 1 verse 24, he wants to work with them for their progress and joy in the faith. He's, I'm rooting for you. My job is to help you love Jesus more. And I want to be there to help you do that. And He says in Philippians 4, verses 8 and 9, he says, finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. And then he says, whatever you have um, heard or whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, So whatever you saw me do, heard me say, watched me act out, whatever you saw me do, put it into practice, and the God of peace will be with you. Follow me as I follow Christ. And the best way for that to happen is not just writing letters, but for him to actually be a living letter, to be there. Just like Jesus spent three years of his life with his disciples. So again, remember... Jesus is the king, so live for him. How? I can tell you, but it's better if I send guys like Timothy to help you see what it looks like. And I'll come myself once I get out of jail. And now, right away though, I'll send Epaphroditus. That's the third main thing. Paul's plans to send Epaphroditus. Verses 25 to 30, he says, I have thought it necessary to send to you Epaphroditus, my brother and fellow worker and fellow soldier, and your messenger and minister to my need. For he has been longing for you all and has been distressed because you heard that he was ill. Indeed, he was ill, near to death, but God had mercy on him, and not only on him, but on me also, lest I should have sorrow upon sorrow. I am the more eager to send him, therefore, that you may rejoice at seeing him again, and that I may be less anxious or have less concern. So, receive him in the Lord with all joy and honor such men, for he nearly died for the work of Christ, risking his life to complete what was lacking in your service to me. So, once again, in these verses, remember, big picture, I'm going to send Epaphroditus and I'm going to send him now. He's going to send him with this letter. Uh, Remember, there's no email. He's got to, like, get on a ship, sail, walk across land, risk his life again on these roads, And eventually get there with a letter from Paul. So three things we'll see. Um, Who Epaphroditus is, what's Paul's purpose to sending him, and then third, the reason he'll send Epaphroditus in particular. So first, Epaphroditus is a man that grew up in Philippi, in the church in Philippi. And Maybe Paul led this guy to the Lord years before. We don't really know. Um, But Epaphroditus was a Christian from Philippi. And when the Philippians had heard that Paul was in jail, um, here's a difference between uh, Roman prison and our prison, okay? In Comstock, do they feed the guys down there? Pretty well, you know. They're not starving. Do, Do they give them heat? okay, showers, you know, reading material, I mean, they got a really cush life. In Rome, here's what they did for you. They locked you up. If you had friends, you lived. If you didn't, well, wasn't so good, right? They, your friends had to bring you food, and if it was cold, they had to bring you blankets, And if you were bored, they had to bring you books. And there was no TV, okay? Like, this is not the Cush life. And Paul is locked up. And so the Philippians hear about this, and they send a generous gift to him. They're, like, extremely poor people in Philippi. And they send more than they even should have, maybe. You know, like, they, they dig deep, and they send generous to help their friend, They're pastor, Paul. And Paul is so thankful, but they, they can't wire money. They send it with Epaphroditus. Most likely Epaphroditus did not go alone. Okay. Why do you think he wouldn't travel the Roman roads holding this massive quantity of money by himself? Well, you might get mugged. You don't walk down the streets of Chicago with your pockets loaded with cash. Okay. I never did. I've been asked multiple times, you got any money with a if you do, it's mine thing? And I had a one dollar. That's all I have, promise, okay? Right, so Epaphroditus, he did not go alone, most likely, but we only know of him, he went. And the Philippians sent this gift to Paul to minister to his needs. And not only money, but Epaphroditus was a part of the gift. Epaphroditus actually stayed with Paul. Paul couldn't go out of his house and go get groceries, so Epaphroditus must have stayed with him to to help him, to minister to his needs. Now, Paul calls Epaphroditus five different things. First, he calls him a brother in verse 25. He's family. They're not related biologically. Why does he call him a brother? Because they have the same father, God. Second, he calls them a fellow worker. They're co-laborers in the work of the gospel advance to the end of the earth. They're co-workers. Third, he calls them a fellow soldier. See that in verse 25? Here Paul taps into one of his favorite metaphors of the Christian life, the metaphor of warfare, that we are in a battle against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places, and we're also in a battle against our own sin. We're soldiers, not fighting people, fighting darkness, fighting our sin. And Epaphroditus, he's part of Paul's platoon, and they're stationed in the same spiritual outpost. He's a fellow soldier. Fourth, he calls him the Philippians' messenger, or literally the word is apostle. You ever heard the word apostle before? It just means sent one, sent one. He's their apostle nowadays we would call the apostles missionaries, sent ones, sent out. Epaphroditus is sent out from Philippi. He's their missionary, their apostle. And finally, he's a minister. I've already said that to a servant to Paul's need. He's serving Paul just like Jesus served him and us. He's a servant. That's who he is. And what's Paul's goal in sending him to the Philippians right away? Remember, Timothy can't go yet. Paul can't go because he's locked up. Epaphroditus is going to go immediately. Verse 28 gives the purpose. Therefore, I'm all the more eager to send him so that when you see him again, you may be glad and I may have less concern or anxiety. So his purpose is to make the Philippians have more joy and so that he won't be concerned anymore and by extension, Epaphroditus. Why are Paul and Epaphroditus concerned, and why are the Philippians going to get joy when they see Epaphroditus? Well, remember, there's not a lot of communication going on between Philippi and Rome. It takes a long time for word to travel. Most likely, this is our best guess, reading between the lines, when the group that came with Epaphroditus left, Epaphroditus was very, very sick. Like, They might have left him, actually, not initially to help, but because he was so sick he couldn't travel. We don't know that for sure, but when we're trying to put the story together, somehow the Philippians heard that Epaphroditus was so sick he was probably going to die. And maybe it was the hardships of the journey, something made him really sick. And they loved this guy. He was somebody's son, father, brother, we don't know. But they loved him, and they were brokenhearted. And they're concerned about him, but they haven't heard in months. And Paul says, verse 27, yeah, he almost died. He did. But the Lord had mercy on him, undeserved love, and he healed them. And he spared them sorrow upon sorrow. Every healing we experience is mercy. Every day that we don't die is a gift from the Lord. We're sinners. We've rebelled against him, and yet he's been kind to us through Christ. Everything we get from him that's not punishment is a gift of mercy, of grace. And so Epaphroditus is this constant reminder of God's mercy to Paul. Every time he looks at him, he remembers, God was so kind by keeping you alive. I mean, imagine here's this guy who risks his life to help you, and now he's like, really, really sick? How would that make you feel? Like, sad. He's almost dying because he's trying to help me, and I'm in jail. And uh, Paul was really concerned. The Philippians were concerned. And so Paul says, I want you to go bring this letter and go back and say, I'm alive! You know? They would be thrilled. They would have great joy. And Paul would not have as much concern. And Epaphroditus was worried about them too because they had heard he was sick. Can you imagine if you were a missionary or you were far overseas and you couldn't really communicate with your loved ones back home, your wife, your kids, your mom, your dad, and they heard you were going to die. Like, but then you got better and then you knew that that's all they knew. You it, you went months knowing they think that you might be dead. Like you're going to have a lot of concern. Like, "Oh man, I can't believe my my daughter, my son, my mom, she thinks I'm dead. I I I want to go fix that, but I can't text her." You know? I'm alive. We're so spoiled nowadays. It's a gift, right? Communication. I can talk to my brother around the world. But they didn't have that. And so Paul says, go, bring them joy, honor people like him. Verse 29, those who, because he risked his life for the sake of Jesus, he gave, he almost gave the ultimate price to serve Jesus. But Jesus gave it all. Jesus gave his life. Epaphroditus risked his life. And Paul says, he embodies a servant And why would he send him? Again, he's concerned about the Philippians. His concern is their interests, their joy, their needs. Okay, so Epaphroditus is thinking about others, just like Jesus thought about others first. So as we conclude, remember in our passage, three men who have the mind of Christ that puts others first. Timothy, Paul, and Epaphroditus. And the goal of sending them is ultimately to give the Philippians men to watch, lives to watch. Just like Paul, I already quoted it earlier, but in in Philippians 3, verse 17, he says, join in imitating me and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. So keep your eyes on leaders of the church who are to set an example. And so, For us as a church 2,000 years later, here's the takeaway. The words of Hebrews, the letter to the Hebrews, chapter 13, verse 7. Remember your leaders, those who spoke to you the word of God. Consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. I already said this. From a very young age, we all start imitating other people. We were made to be imitators, imitators of God. We were made to reflect God's character, his goodness, and to represent his rule in this world, to to take care of the things in our control and possession with, with goodness and justice and truth and kindness. We were made to reflect God. Who will we imitate? As Christians, we were saved to the end, that we would imitate Jesus. That we would become like little Christs, little copies of Jesus with our own unique character. It doesn't mean we become clones that just look exactly like Jesus. We we uniquely image or reflect Jesus in all our different capacities of life and areas that we work. If Jesus was a teacher, this is how he would live. If Jesus was a geologist, this is how he would live. If Jesus worked at Big Lots, this is how he would... I mean, you get the idea. We are to picture Jesus in our lives. We were saved to that end, that we might be little models of what it means to be all that God created humans to be. And so to be a disciple of Jesus, which all Christians True Christians are disciples. It means you're a learner. The word disciple means learner, a learner of Jesus. I love that because that doesn't mean an accomplished scholar of the way of Jesus, right? We're all learners. Everyone who says, I want to follow Jesus, means you're a learner of Jesus. And guess what? That's a process. And it takes a lifetime. And we'll still be learning in the new creation. And as a and a Christian pastor, like myself, like Brian, like Carl, we're the leaders of the church, we are to be someone people who model the way of christ that doesn't mean we 're not learners, we are learners too. We are learning every day, um, but a pastor, what is a pastor? What am I? A pastor is not someone. Who has a unique ability to speak in front of people. Like some people are man, you're really good speaking in front of people. You should be a pastor. Well, a lot of scoundrels are really good at speaking in front of people. Somehow they can get your money into their pocket because they're really dynamic speakers. Call one 800 Don't. How do they do it? Good speakers. It's not a pastor. A pastor is not necessarily someone with strong leadership ability. Wow, you're a really good leader. You should be a pastor. Hitler was a good leader too, a really good leader, okay? That does not mean that you should be a pastor. Many people feel called to be pastors. I feel this sense like I should be a pastor. I should be a ministry leader. I should be in leading in the church, Okay, many people have that call, but even having the call, some people are like, he's got the call. Send him overseas. He should be a missionary. He's got the call, you know. God called him. He's a, he's a bit of a fixer-upper. You know, <laughs> he needs a lot of work, but he's got the call. Send him." And they go overseas, and they just crash and burn because they've got no training. They don't know the way of Jesus yet, or they're still really, really growing in the learning process and their position goes to their head and they get puffed up and they fall. No. An individual's sense of calling to be a youth pastor or a missionary or a preacher or a Bible teacher does not come before their actual track record of of following Jesus, walking in the way of Jesus. So pastors like me, we're called to model way of Jesus. We aren't held to a higher standard than everybody else. That's really, really important to know. We are not held like, well, pastors, they're supposed to be like the super extra holy people and everybody else, they're just kind of the, the regular run of the mill Christians. But man, those pastors, their feet don't touch the ground. Well, guess what? My feet touch the ground big time. Ask Holly. All right. We are not supposed to be this extra dimension of spirituality. We're called to the same standard as Christians. Men, women, children. And this is the standard. Follow Jesus. Learn his way. Imitate him. Obey him. The qualifications to be a pastor, a deacon, and the Bible has, has a couple qualification lists, okay, of what it, what it looks like. In some of the letters to the churches, because it's like, well, who do we make leaders? And there's lists, and the lists are not extraordinary. They don't say dynamic speaking ability, incredible leader, lots of money, successful. No. They say he doesn't fly off the handle when somebody gets angry at him. You know, he, he's learned through trial and error <laughs> to have self control. Boy, you know, it, we all want that. This, this is not a super high, you know, extra level. It's, it's following Jesus. And it doesn't mean that I'm perfect, that Brian's perfect, that Carl's perfect, that a pastor is perfect. We are not. Part of the way that we model being a follower of Jesus is we ask for forgiveness when we've sinned. One of the greatest gifts to me as a young man was that my dad asked forgiveness regularly. I get choked up even thinking about it. Okay. One, one time, all right, my dad, he got, he had diabetes. And so when he would get a sugar low, um, it wasn't an excuse. It was not an excuse, but he would get really, really angry. Um, and, uh, what was in his heart would come out. <laughs> and uh and i was a punk and i was 15 and he just lost it at me and and, uh, i won't go into details but it was really bad and i i went to bed crying that night and uh, i remember waking up at midnight and my dad was praying over me by by the bed which he did every night he would come in he would pray and he was bawling and i remember waking up and Him giving me a hug and asking for my forgiveness, which I should have been asking forgiveness too, right? Like, I was the punk, but he asked for my forgiveness. My dad was a leader in our church. He was one that we would call an elder or a pastor, okay? And I knew my dad's the real deal. Not because he was perfect, but because I knew he follows Jesus. He cares enough about this to ask his punk prideful, arrogant 15-year-old son who thinks he's always right, he asks me for forgiveness because he sinned against me. And that was not just once. It happened a lot. And it still does. My dad's not a perfect man. And neither am I. Part of leading is in confession and asking for forgiveness because we do sin. We do fail. And yet, As a pastor, my job, the job of a pastor, is to imitate Jesus for you. To provide you with a picture, a smudgy picture, of what it looks like for a man to follow Jesus. And the same goes for Brian, for Carl. Again, we are not perfect, but we love Jesus. And we're trying to follow him in every area of our lives in finances, in work, in the way we drive, in the way we talk, in the way we pray, in the way we read the Bible, in the way we talk to our kids, in the way we lead our homes, in the way we work. Again, it looks different for all of us. We are very, very different people. Every single one of you is very different. But in the different spheres of life, you get three different pictures with us, but there's many other Christians that you can watch too. See how? Do, how does a how does a doctor love Jesus? How does a mom love Jesus? How does someone who's gone through a crazy amount of just has so much baggage in their life and they're still struggling like how do they love Jesus? We've got it all at our little church, and we watch each other. We learn together, how to follow Jesus. And so, all of us are learners of the way of Jesus and all of us, even as we watch each other, we watch men like Timothy, we're all called to watch the Lord Jesus. To learn the way of Jesus from Jesus himself. And there's no better way to do that and to immerse yourself in his word, in the Bible. And that's a lifelong process of learning as well. let's, Let's pray. Lord, I thank you that you are good, that you care for us. Lord Jesus, we want to learn your way. You said, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And I pray, Father, that we would learn your way. That we would find forgiveness each day in your name. And I pray, Father, that you would keep us, as the pastors of this church, faithful. Help us to continue to grow in our learning of the way of Jesus. In our humility. In our service. And I thank you, finally, for the Lord Jesus in his great act of service to us on the cross. What more could Jesus have given than he already gave? He gave his life. We worship him now through coming to the table together. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.